0: From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. That's Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson
1: is on there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots
0: were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside, got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win! Yes! LeBron, James. And rings were handed out like candy. Here's yes! it is all
1: over, won. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Vera Bouguet, and it starts
0: right now. Hello, everyone. Just want to do a, a quick preamble before this week's episode. We're going back into the Duncan Dynasty archives for for this week, and uh, this episode dates back to 2018, where Anthony Brown and I, my co-host at the time, uh, we discussed the 2018 NBA draft. So we gave our thoughts on a lot of the uh, the prospects, especially in that uh, in that top 10 range. Fun to kind of go back and uh, listen to something from from over three years ago and. And uh, it uh, turned out to be a really interesting draft class as well, with the likes of Luka Doncic, DeAndre Ayton, Trey Young, Jaron Jackson Jr., and, and many others. So, uh, hope you enjoy it. As far as uh, upcoming content, I should have a should have another episode up with uh, with my good friend Matt Murray here, maybe at the end of this month, potentially early February, with our. Uh, Games of 2021. We did our first version of that last year for for 2020. Also, if you have not gotten around to uh, reading my article on the Raptors' impressive rookie Scotty Barnes, I have that one pinned on my uh, Twitter page, so uh, please check that out. Should have some interesting stuff. Another uh, video game episode I've got planned, video game-related episode I've got planned with Scott Levine, where we're going to break down... The game Hades, which I've put more time into than basically any other game this past year. We're uh, going to attempt to uh, compare and contrast the uh, the game Hades to the sport of basketball and uh, more importantly the NBA. So uh, that should be a fun one. Stay tuned for all of that and hope you enjoy this episode here with Anthony. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bouguet. Thank you so much. For joining us. And on this episode, Anthony and I will be uh, breaking down at least uh, the lottery portion of the uh, most recent NBA draft, the 2018 NBA draft. And uh, Anthony, starting off with the number one pick, of course, the Phoenix Suns selected DeAndre Ayton, a 7 1 Mammoth center from the University of Arizona, so a local kid. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you think about the prospect that is DeAndre Ayton? I do like that story from. Arizona and everything going
1: to Phoenix I think that's great uh really big guy down Uh low I mean I grew up watching Shaq down in the post so I really like the idea of a big low post scorer he's really athletic too he can run the floor yes Um, can definitely see him as a guy in the pick and roll or on fast breaks you know throwing that lob to him um just on the offensive side I think he's got a great upside as a center Mm -hmm. what do you think
0: yeah, I mean, as a rebounder as well, I think sure. he's going to be a monster. You know, he's, he's got the, uh, uh, he's got good instincts for, uh, especially on the boards, you know, the ability to tip the ball to himself, uh, really impressive. And again, with that size and that physicality, not only the height and the length, but that, uh, you know, he's got a man's body <laughs> right away. Right. Uh, he can kind of bully guys a little bit inside. Uh, so, you know, I see him being a guy that can, can average almost 10 rebounds straight away. Wow. Uh, and uh, the, the question, though, would be, uh, you know, there, there are a couple question marks, one being the defense and the other being how good can he get offensively? What do you think in terms of his ceiling as an offensive player?
1: Uh, it's tough. In, I mean, in this era, we don't really, you know, we space the floor so much. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of teams, even when you've got like a Carl Anthony Towns, they're not looking to post him up on every play, mm-hmm. right? That's just the era we're in. It's so. probably,
0: you know, it, it's frustrating that they don't post him up more. Exactly. Times.
1: Exactly. So I don't know if that'll be the situation in uh, Phoenix, you know, that they'll be looking at more perimeter stuff. But uh, I think anytime you got a guy that size, there's that potential to, uh, to be a dominant low post guy. And he's a guy who faces up in the, the post too, and he's got right. a good jump shot, so he can spread the floor too. Um, I, it might just depend on how good his shot turns out to be and develops. Mm-hmm. Um, on the defensive end, I, that might just be more of a uh, an effort thing, you know? So I don't know if that's something you can really develop or if that's just a defensive instinct, you know, in yeah. your basketball DNA, whether he can work that hard on the defensive end. But um, that size is definitely something people are going to think twice about going to the basket if he's willing to. To step up what do you think though
0: yeah i mean it, that's what's one of the real interesting things about the nba draft is yeah what are the skills that can be improved what are the ones that you know you you can't you can't teach a guy to be 7'1 260 pounds <laughs> exactly so he's got a lot of those and in, in, you can't teach the athleticism and the fluidity at that size so right. he's got some things that you can't teach but then can you teach the defensive awareness and as you said can you teach that hustle you know, I've heard a lot of scouts over the years say, and I remember when Tristan Thompson was drafted and he went higher than most people thought at number four mm-hmm. uh, in that draft, uh, you know, people said that hustle was a skill, you know, mm-hmm. and not everyone necessarily has that. It's about effort and motor. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he develops that, uh, you know, that consistent effort. Uh, he also, an interesting thing, uh, you know, given his situation in college, he played close to 37 minutes a game, uh, so mm. uh, that could be a reason why at times you, on a lot of the footage you see maybe some lack of effort plays is he could be just a little bit tired. That
1: makes sense. You know, like mm. if,
0: if uh, in the NBA you've got not only longer games but more time where he can rest uh, right. and still play 32 to 34 minutes, maybe that effort will improve. Um, but the defensive awareness is certainly, um, you know, something that uh, is questionable and In the, in today's day and age, as far as those teams that are competing for titles, how many of them can, can compete and win championships with a center that isn't great defensively? It's tough. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's really tough. Uh, I mean, specifically with being able to handle like the pick and roll, right? If you're going to play against the Warriors or the Rockets or whoever, you're going to be able, you're going to have to be able to defend some of these elite perimeter, uh, offensive players and point guards like a James Harden or like a Steph Curry or they're just going to pick you apart right so if I I don't know the first year if he's going to be able to do that or not but if he can develop that
0: um I I think he's going to be great if we'll see you know well he's got the you know he's got the measurables similar to like a Joel Embiid right uh, but Embiid's awareness on defense is is so great um right you know that that is a question uh, with him, a lot of times you see a lot of highlights as we're watching him in the background as we talk about these prospects. Um, you know, you see a lot of plays where guys are driving on the opposite side of the floor. He's in position to help and potentially make a block, but just kind of stands there and watches. Right. Uh, and, and those are kind of instincts and awareness that you help. You hope maybe with experience he can improve. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah we'll see. But- uh, and, the, you know, the other thing, you know, talking about that offensive uh, upside, the, the thing that I think is an interesting comparison is DeMarcus Cousins. Now, Cousins has become one of the best offensive centers in the league. Uh, but uh, the the thing that I think frustrates a lot of people about Cousins is that he tends to rely on the jump shot in the face-up game a little bit too much, given mm. his size and strength and his ability to just bully guys. And right. that's something that you could see maybe from Aiton as well is you know, does he like to turn and face and shoot that jumper a little too much? Even though it's an effective shot, he's got good form and all of that, but you also don't want to see him passing up opportunities to get inside and dunk. Because yeah. as Shaq showed with, right. uh, you know, a dominant size, big body center, uh, and that, that could be one of the underrated parts about Shaq is, you know, people say, well, that was his weakness was the lack of shot, but that may have helped contribute to his strength. Right. Because without a shot to rely on... He just went at the defense over and over inside. Yeah,
1: uh, and I'm a little more old school than most maybe that I I tend to agree with Charles and Shaq when they're criticizing some of these younger guys for not going inside and just dominating. I think if you've got an elite, either physical package or elite skill set, you should use it every time until they can stop it. Have some counters off of it, but I think... Yes, it's, it's, uh, Shaq relied on it a lot with his size and strength, but no one could stop it. Right. I think some of these, uh, like a Will Chamberlain, maybe one of his biggest flaws as a, a center, and he's one of the best players of all time in my top, uh, you know, 10 of all time. But if he would have just dunked on people every single time, we would be talking about him with maybe passing Kareem's all time, you know, scoring effort and everything. So with this new guy, if he, uh, with DeAndre Ayton, if he can, maybe do what we're talking about and as opposed to cousins facing up all the time, if he can just use that strength and punish guys down low, I think it opens up areas of your game
0: um that could help out Phoenix. So. Right. Now, you know, you look at the the upside and in terms of his ceiling, I think the best version of DeAndre Ayton, if Phoenix is hoping that he's worthy of a number one pick is a guy that could put up twenty five points and fifteen boards right. and become you know, not a great defensive center, but at least maybe slightly above average. If he becomes a dominant offensive player, dominant rebounder, and you know, capable defensively, that's that's a great piece. Oh yeah, no, I, I like that pick. The uh, you know the I guess the the downside though would be a guy that maybe is more in the fifteen points, ten rebounds, and never develops that defense, and is always kind of. Just a guy that has all these defensive tools, maybe has a highlight play here or there, but doesn't actually impact winning.
1: Yeah, and that's, like you said, that's the tough part about the draft, knowing what their potential is going to be. Well,
0: in this year's draft, I think one of the interesting things is that all of these guys seem to have some pretty glaring holes in their game as well. Right. It's just a matter of finding out which holes are going to be overcome and which aren't. Yeah, uh, but there's no there's no Tim Duncan, there's no LeBron, there's <laughs> right. no Shaq in this draft. Uh and so that makes it even more of a of a crapshoot. Yeah, I agree. So the number 2 selection in the draft uh, of course Marvin Bagley, uh the power forward uh from Duke, and he was drafted by the Sacramento Kings. Now, uh, what are, what are your thoughts just in general about uh about the young big man?
1: I like how athletic he is and how he can run the floor. Um I like his shot form too but um rebounding. I I like his motor down there. He seems to put in a lot of effort. Um and I was a player who, you know, really worked hard on the offensive boards. I think when you're a big guy, it helps your team a lot if you're going to be putting that effort down there. Um what are your thoughts on him though?
0: Yeah, he's uh he's a guy that I think um I had a little bit lower on my draft board in terms of he was not even in my top 5, but he went oh, okay. to uh, and I think one of the reasons Sacramento actually drafted him is because he was one of the only prospects you know, near the top of the draft that actually went and worked out for them. Oh, wow. Uh, and a lot of the guys just didn't want any part of it, uh, <laughs> in large part because Sacramento has been a dysfunctional organization for over a decade. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that could go into it. But you know, if you're an NBA team and, say, the top guy on your board does not come and work out for you, would that scare you off or would you just say, I'm going to draft him anyway and he's got to come?
1: Yeah, I mean, if they're if they're high enough and I really want them, I'm drafting them no matter what. I mean, uh, I, I guess there's different philosophies on that. If if you're looking for more of that like, team cohesion and you want a guy who wants to be there, then sure, I guess you could do that method. But when you've got your pick of the litter here and you can pick whoever you want, I would pick the top guy no matter what. Right, that's just me. But
0: and you know, not to say I don't like Marvin Bagley's skill set. I think yes, offensively and from a rebounding perspective, uh, he's got quite a high upside. Um, you know, he's uh, as you mentioned, a terrific athlete, one of the best athletes in this draft. At about six ten and a half, he moves like a wing. Exactly, you know, and uh, he runs the floor well. I could see him being. A great, like if if the Kings ever develop enough spacing on the floor, he could be a great lob threat in the pick and roll. Uh, He could also develop kind of a, I see him almost developing a Chris Bosh kind of face-up game. Hmm. He's left-handed just like Bosh. Yeah. Where if he can develop that jumper, which he's shown signs that he's got some decent touch on that jumper, he certainly needs to improve it. But if he can ever get to a point where he can hit a consistent mid-range shot, then the defense kind of comes and plays up on him. And that's how Bosh beat his guy off the dribble with the threat of that jump shot. Uh, so, you know, he could develop that sort of a level of offensive game with the rebounding. And defensively, you know, I, I don't see him as much of a shot blocker at any point. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he, he, you know, he's athletic enough that hopefully, you know, the, the best case scenario would be he, he'd be a guy that could switch effectively.
1: Right. Which, again, in this era, you definitely need that if you're going to be competing against the top teams, so.
0: But you know, a, a guy like that—that that at you know, if you play him at power forward, um, you need you definitely need a center that can not only protect the rim, but probably can space the floor for him as well. Which those guys are tough to find. Right. And then if you play him at center, you got to worry: okay, do we have enough defense uh, with him yeah. at the five? Uh, and and then the other concern: if he if you know he's not good enough defensively to play the five, and he's forced to play the four, then does his athleticism translate as well facing up against NBA power forwards? Because those guys are quicker. Right. Uh, So he may not be able to beat those guys off the bounce like he would centers. Yeah, really good point there. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for Bagley, for me, it's, you know, the ceiling would be maybe not quite as good defensively uh, like a Chris Bosh. Maybe a better rebounding Chris Bosh, but not not as effective on the defensive end. Uh, worst case scenario, you know, like a Michael Beasley, a guy yeah. that in college also put up big time numbers, both scoring and rebounding. But, you know, that offense didn't necessarily translate to a high level in the NBA. Uh, and the defense is, you know, a major issue for a guy like him. So definitely some question marks. And again, considering some of the guys that were left on the board that we're going to get to, uh, I really do question that decision. So with the three pick in the draft... Uh, the Atlanta Hawks had that pick, but they traded actually with the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks moving up from five to three and also giving a protected first-round pick to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, and then they ended up selecting Luka Doncic, who was my number one guy on my board. What do you think of uh, the European teenage sensation?
1: Really impressive,
0: not going to lie. Um, six, eight
1: can shoot, really, really, really good passer. Mm-hmm. um you know with some of the highlights we're watching here he's making uh a lebron-esque cross-court like one-handed zip pass over top of the defense which is just a pass that most people skill-wise can't do or size-wise aren't able to do to throw it over top of everyone like that um playmaker and you know as we're looking at here euroleague mvp had what 19 years old the yes. youngest ever to do that um Garrett, you were pointing out earlier that the competition in the EuroLeague um, is arguably, and we both agree, better than D1
0: basketball. Right, because you've got NBA-level talent from guys that uh, that were born in Europe that just either don't want to move to the United States for whatever reason, so you've got those level of players that could be NBA, that are NBA talents, Right, and then you've got guys that played in Division One that aren't quite good enough for the NBA, then they go to the EuroLeague, and again... They continue to develop and mature and, and grow as players, so certainly a, a much more skilled and, and good basketball product. Um, maybe not quite as great athletically, whereas in Division I, it, you know, the uh, the skill sets might not be as high, but of course, in Division One in the United States, there are a ton of great athletes. There are. Um, so that would be the, the, the biggest concern with Doncic is, you know, he's not a great athlete. He... You know one m v p in a league where maybe the athleticism isn't anywhere near compared to what you get in the n b a sure um but but one of the things I really like about his ability to potentially succeed despite that athleticism is as you mentioned the passing so if the defense you know comes in a little bit too much on him, he can make those cross court passes that six eight size really helps him be able to see over the defense mm-hmm. uh but then also the fact that He's got a step back jumper. Uh, you see, he's got kind of those James Harden-esque, you know, yeah. going back to his left to hit those fadeaways. Um, and and in the NBA, you're most of the time like, yes, I understand. Like against the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets, uh, they switch everything and don't really have any defensive liabilities, right? But against the majority of NBA teams, there's going to be guys that you can attack, whether that's a slow center or a slow-footed wing, right? Um, so. If the defense switches, he's going to be able to attack some of those slower-footed guys, and he also showed a pretty polished post game. If and so he could get even a switch onto a smaller guard.
1: Very true. Yeah, at six eight, um, he's and he's going to have those opportunities. I would say in the NBA, um, the one uh, I guess downside with him that you know we're talking athleticism-wise, that a smaller, quicker guard, if they are guarding him, uh, sometimes in the Euroleague is giving him some problems with being able to get past them and everything. Uh but yeah, if he gets them on the post though, I think it's gonna be a problem for right whoever's gonna
0: guard him there. Well and uh I think another thing just in terms of the fit, of course Dallas uh they drafted uh Dennis Smith Junior in last year's draft. He was probably the most athletic point guard in last year's class. Uh so I think those two combined are gonna be pretty good and it'll give Doncic opportunities to play off the ball a little bit and uh, that'll give him chances to attack a defense that has already been, you know, bent and right. uh, are rotating out to him, which, uh, you know, I think he'll, would alleviate some of those problems in terms of his ability to beat quicker guys off the truck. Definitely. Uh, the, you know, the the concern, of course, though, uh, given those athletic uh, problems that we've mentioned is the defense. Um, you know, he's, uh He's not going to project to probably be much of a bu- above-average defender at all, but I think if he can get to an average with, you know, instincts and those sorts of things. You mentioned when you were watching him, you, you noticed some Larry Bird uh, in his defense.
1: A little bit, yeah. Larry Bird is, you know, obviously wasn't a uh, a bad athlete, especially in the early years, but uh, as a team defender, he's able to get in the passing lanes. As we were watching this, you know, the, the, the guy analyzing it, who was the... Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt. Uh, you know, points out that the basketball IQ on this guy is, you know, extremely high, especially compared to the other people in this draft. So I would assume that he's going to be able to, you know, maybe not one-on-one, he's not going to shut anyone down really, but I, I'm not sure how much of a weakness he's going to be out there on defense. And the plus sides on offense, I think, are going to outweigh those
0: negatives. Right. Now, you know, with his size at 6'8", you know, the... Those kinds of players I feel like are the easiest to hide on defense because you can find the weakest you know wing player on the opposing team and put him on there right or you know if if they've got a big man that doesn't have necessarily great post up skills you could probably throw him on on those guys as well Absolutely. whereas you know with a a point guard that maybe has those defensive deficiencies a little harder to hide yeah for sure um but yeah you know looking at his uh at his floor versus his ceiling, you know, I think this guy is going to be a positive player immediately. Sure. I think he can make players better. I think he's going to be able to score. Uh, and, again, uh, he's got multiple facets to his game. He's got a floater game he can get to. You know, if teams guard him at, in a traditional pick and roll uh, and, you know, don't switch, I think he's going to be able to pick it apart because oh, sure. he's got all the passes that he you can yeah. make. He can he can get by guys and, and use his body to get into that mid-range. He's got a good mid-range pull-up, yeah. and he's got that floater as well, uh, yeah. and he can throw those lobs. So he's got every tool of the trade right. to be able to handle a team just running a traditional pick-and-roll defense. Yeah,
1: I agree. Really good shooter, too. Dude's got range. Um, I think maybe the only other thing, he's he's a pretty good rebounder, too, in this yes. the highlight package mm-hmm. I was
0: surprised at. He so. competes well on the glass, both offensively and defensively, and and that ignites his transition game, which you know helps show off the, those uh, tremendous passing skills. Right. With the fourth pick in the NBA draft, the Memphis Grizzlies went after Jaron Jackson Jr., a uh, forward slash center from Michigan State, and uh, he's a guy that uh, has an incredible wingspan at about seven four and a half. A uh, really good shot blocker, averaged around five blocks a game uh, per forty minutes uh, as a college freshman. Also, the youngest guy in this draft. What are your thoughts on uh, on Jaron Jackson Jr.?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, youngest guy. It, that's that's always tough for me because you know, maturity wise, I'm sure it's got to be tough to be that young for all these guys going into the NBA. But uh, the other side of that coin is a lot more potential. You get to mold that player and however you see fit right um and I really like centers that can protect the basket mm-hmm. I, I just really like rim protectors um so anyone blocking shots like that I think it's going to be uh, a force out there and if he can stay in front of you know some of these quicker guards or at least you know be okay in the pick and roll I think he can be uh make an impact on whatever team he's on
0: well and that's you know guys like Al Horford and Draymond Green not only are they great at individual defensive skills, but I think a big part of their value is the versatility sure that at times when it, when their team needs it, they can protect the rim at times they can switch out and guard on the perimeter at other times they can you know show great help awareness and cut off a drive and and stop a play from happening and having that basketball i q uh you know this guy's versatility is really exciting, and a guy that i think you know, even if the offensive stuff doesn't work, which we'll get to in a minute, I think as a defensive player, he's going to have some pretty good value. Definitely, and he's going to be paired with uh, Marcus Shaw, who uh, you know has uh, has been a great NBA defender, has that basketball IQ, so a guy that he can learn from, that I think is a yeah. good uh, a good mentor for him. Uh, but looking more now on the offensive end for this guy, now his his shot is a little bit unorthodox. He shoots mm-hmm. it kind of in front of his face how do you feel like that will translate potentially to the nba three point line it's it's always hard to tell with
1: college because the the three point line is so much closer mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's a little different but it's it's not a bad shot he is able to make it you know um and it's it's kind of a smooth shot there's some other people in this where um maybe it's a more traditional looking shot but it's a little wonky and there's some hitches in it his is at least a somewhat quick release i think he might be able to develop that into a three-point shot to stretch the floor a little bit. I don't think he's going to be an elite three-point shooter, but um I think there's enough that you could work with there on the offensive end.
0: Right. And you know, he shot 80% from the free-throw line, which is another good indicator that uh, he's going to become a decent he has the potential to become a decent three-point shooter. Uh, and yes the the release is quick and smooth as you stated uh, it seems like it has some solid arc on it as well yeah. so yeah i would also suggest that i think he can he can become a pretty good three point shooter my biggest question mark with him is beyond that i don't know if there's a lot to work with offensively right. there's a lot of question marks about you know his his passing ability his ball handling his post game He's pretty raw again. He's 18, so you know he could theoretically develop those skills. But beyond the jump shot, there's not a lot there offensively. There really
1: isn't. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, again, I really value the the defensive impact there. Um, but yeah, for him to be effective, he's going to have to, as you know, we watch a really bad turnover there with his passing game. He's going to have to develop into a better passer uh, to be able to make that offensive impact.
0: Especially, you know, if he's gonna his offensive role is gonna be as a, a spacer, you know, out on the perimeter, he's gonna have to be able to pass the basketball, whether that's swinging it on a, you know, when the defense is rotating and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think one of the things with him is in, in in terms of his floor. I think he's got a really high floor, especially as a defensive player. I think even as an eighteen year old, he's gonna come in and be a productive defensive player straight away.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Uh, So you know he certainly is a guy that I think is a is a solid fitted four. Now there are probably guys after him that uh, you know maybe have a little bit more potential and a high ceiling. Uh, What are your thoughts in terms of that? Do you uh, at the top of an NBA draft would you be looking more for? Okay, I want to find a superstar here, or am I comfortable with a guy that I know is going to be a solid starter?
1: Uh. I think it depends on the draft and where I, where my team's at, you know. Uh, I think more times than not, I would want to get that superstar. Mm-hmm. But if it's a draft like this where, like we're saying, there's a lot of holes in people's games, it might be a better idea to just go with the solid player that's going to fit uh, a ni- uh, niche. 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. niche. <laughs> I've heard it pronounced in, several different yeah, ways. There yeah, there you go. Uh within your team, right? If you really need rebounding or you really need a rim protector, then this would
0: be the draft to get it. Yes. Um,
1: what about you? How would you do you want to go for the superstar every time no matter what?
0: Um yeah, I would say when I'm like uh, you know, top 5, I would probably be leaning more towards let's find that superstar talent. Okay. Uh but, you know, Memphis has maybe a different game plan or strategy in terms of what they're trying to do. They still have Gasol and Mike Conley, so they still think we should be trying to win right now. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think they should be looking to rebuild, and the best way to to rebuild is to find a superstar. Um, But given their goals, I I understand why they made this pick. I think he's going to be able to slide in and hopefully be productive uh, pretty early on. But again, still super young with uh, some room to develop. So with the fifth pick in the draft, it was uh, the Atlanta Hawks taking Trey Young. And, uh, of course, Atlanta started at number three, but then traded with Dallas, who was at number five. So they swapped those picks. Dallas then giving Atlanta a future number one. And then Atlanta taking Trey Young. And, of course, Young, uh, there's, there's one player in the NBA that a lot of people compare him to. And who is that, Anthony? Uh, Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you, do you feel like the comparison is legit?
1: It's interesting. Uh, I think, you know, when we think of Steph Curry, we're thinking of him now. Greatest shooter of all time, uh, gone to the finals uh, numerous times, won numerous championships, MVP. uh, But I think people forget in college when he was at Davidson, um, he led his team on an impressive, you know, March Madness run. But there were a lot of question marks in how would his game translate to the NBA and he had to develop a lot as a player to become the Steph Curry we know. In college, he was a, a kid with uh, a really, really good shot. He could pass. And that's what we're seeing with Trey Young. Um, mm-hmm. And just watched a step back there that, you know, we were talking about is uh, Damian Lillard-esque. Yes. You know, one of the most difficult types of step backs to the right, uh, creating space there. For a right-handed shooter. Yeah. yeah it's, that is just a tough shot. Um you know, what, 27 points per game mm-hmm. in the NCAA, so led
0: the... Nearly the, nine assists. Yeah,
1: so led the NCAA in, in assists and points. That is impressive. So uh, what are your thoughts on that comparison, though, and just him overall?
0: Well, I, I do think that I see the offensive upside. and You know, you you talk about, as you said, Steph Curry really more of a spot-up shooter and a guy that could run off screens, a la like a J.J. Redick or a Kyle Korver at the college level. Right but then develop the ball handling and the off-the-dribble shooting. Trey Young's off-the-dribble shooting is already at a much higher level than Steph Curry's was at that same age. So, of course, you you look at that and say, oh, this is, you know, you start to salivate thinking about what he can do offensively. Uh, in transition, the ability to pull up from 30 feet and the fear that inflicts on defenses. And, of course, you know, what what Steph Curry does is coming off of those ball screens Forcing defenses essentially to double team the ball, which opens up things for his teammates and and Trey Young's passing ability, he's shown that he can make a lot of those same passes that Curry does. So, yeah, yeah I I am all about uh, Trey Young in terms of that comparison, at least offensively yeah. uh, with Steph Curry. The question mark with him, in my mind, is the defense and. You know he's he's a couple inches shorter than Steph. He's uh, his wingspan is is pretty average for his size as well. I think he's six one and a half essentially. Yeah. Uh, and showed real a lack of effort and a lack of ability defensively. You know he's not strong. He's not uh, he's not terribly quick either. You know. Yeah. You you question whether he'll ever become a good defensive player. Uh, but if a guy is you know a number one option offensively in the NBA, that's incredibly valuable. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, and what's your thoughts in terms of, you know, there's, there's the whole question of Draymond Green had a quote where uh, he was mentioning to Bob Myers, the Warriors' GM, where there, he said there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. Hmm. And essentially what he meant by that was there are guys that can be great during the regular season, but then there's other guys that are made and built for the playoffs interesting um trey young to me seems to be an 82 game player in Mm. terms of he's gonna be attacked over and over defensively in the playoffs and despite how good he is offensively i think that weak point might just be too too tough to overcome but at the same time you know if he's a guy that can can be the best player on a 50 win team right you know that's that's incredibly valuable so who do you value there? Would you rather have a guy like a Draymond Green, who you know in the playoffs is a great two or three option on your team, mm. or a guy that's capable in the regular season of being the number one guy? Because Draymond certainly isn't capable of that. Right. Um, but then might be exploited come postseason.
1: That's so tough. You kind of need both. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I mean, that's... Uh, when when we were talking about, like, the top... Uh, you know, 25 current NBA players at the beginning of the season, where do you put Draymond Green? Like, that's so hard to, to say. Right. So valuable to the team, and uh, obviously, on when you're in the playoffs, you need someone like that, but uh, without the scorer and the person who's going to, you know, run the show and maybe be the best person offensively, you're not even going to get to the, exactly. the playoffs or the finals. Yeah. So uh, I I hadn't heard that quote before from, oh, yeah. from draymond but that's that was really smart of him um i i think if you get enough good people around young um then maybe they'll be able to cover for that weakness mm-hmm. but um he might have a point with that that the better teams are gonna just exploit that what are your thoughts
0: yeah uh i think there there is something too. like you have to get to the playoffs first and then figure it out from there. Right. And a lot of teams are just trying to get there. Right. Um, and Trey Young to me seems like a guy that I definitely could see as a, a huge contributor in getting you to that point. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the 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 uh, the idea that he's going to struggle come postseason is real. And yeah. Um, you know, I think if you can find another guy that has that same possible potential. Uh, but can be a two-way player, that's the guy I kind of go with. But at five, you know, maybe that guy wasn't there, although Atlanta chose to trade down from potentially drafting Doncic to take Trey Young, um, although, you know, they did get an extra first-round pick for it. Right, yeah. The
1: The extra pick, I think, was the deciding factor there. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, because like you said, uh, Doncic is your number one who you would have gone for. Right. Um, but... With the range and the passing ability and everything we've we've
0: said, I think Trey Young's gonna be uh, someone to watch for sure. Number six in the draft, Mohamed Bamba for the Orlando Magic. Bamba with an NBA record seven ten wingspan at the combine. Uh just an incredibly long player. Uh has got that rim protection potential to be a guy like a Rudy Gobert. So Anthony, my thought is, or my question for you—I'm going to put you on the spot: Does he become a Rudy Gobert level rim protector, or is he—is—is uh, is everyone overreacting just due to the uh, the measurements of, uh, of mobile? <laughs> put me
1: on the spot. It's really tough to say. Uh, again, I love uh, a center that can protect the rim, and this guy is one of the best in this uh, this draft, or you can probably argue is the best one in this draft. Um I see the comparisons to Gobert. Uh you told me that, you know, Gobert took some years to, you know, maybe develop into that uh mm-hmm. player and everything. Uh but I see the potential. I really do at that size and his athleticism, uh he could very well be this, you know, freaky rim protector here who's just blocking shots left and right. What was it? 5 blocks a game. Yeah. Um <laughs> Per In, 40 minutes, per yeah. Per 40 minutes and, and 14 and a half rebounds. Um, yeah, it's impressive. What do you think? Do you think it's a little bit of a overreaction?
0: I do. I um, Okay. You know, I, I think he could get there, but the lack of awareness at times on defense really does concern me. Okay. Uh, because, again, shot blockers, uh, the great ones are a combination of uh you know that length and that raw ability but then the anticipation the awareness the reactions the instincts and uh Mm. too often you see like you know guys that have these highlight blocks where they're coming from the weak side and jumping and swatting it out of bounds but those are often the plays that um you know, if a player were to pump fake uh, and he goes flying by and gives up a wide open layup, those sorts of things. I like the ones, and you see this a lot with Rudy Gobert, yeah. where he's in perfect position and he doesn't even have to jump to block the shot. Yeah. You know, and too oftentimes I see Baba jumping to, to block those shots uh, or, you know, leaping from one side of the lane to the other to get the block. And in the NBA, guys are really good at, uh, you know, pivoting and shot faking and all those sorts of things you've got to be very disciplined as a shot blocker to not only just record blocks but to actually make an impact defensively where guys then are just not taking shots in the paint because not only does Rudy Gobert block a lot of shots he prevents a lot of shots right and that's one of the key differences
1: that is a really good point yeah rim protection it's not just about blocking the shots it's about intimidating people and forcing them to miss shots or not take
0: shots mm-hmm. that they normally would take good point but the the other intriguing thing about bomba even you know that is more intriguing than a rudy gobert coming out of the draft is the jump shot yeah so bomba has the potential to do what gobert does offensively where he rolls down and catches those lobs with that long with those long arms but he has shown a decent touch from the outside and the idea of a Rudy Gobert that can shoot threes, you know, you understand yeah. the appeal for a lot of these teams. Definitely,
1: yeah. I would, I would take that. Like a <laughs> slightly less than Rudy Gobert, or, or yeah, Rudy Gobert, but can shoot the three. That would mm-hmm. be awesome.
0: And um. so Orlando, you know, they've gone uh, in several of these drafts with a lot of these long players. Uh, they're they're trying to build a team that just kind of swarms you with length. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how all that works out. They, of course, need some some guard play, and maybe they can get that in future drafts as well. But Mm -hmm. Bamba, I see as one of the higher ceilings, but also maybe one of the lower floors. Uh, So kind of a Mm. a high-risk, high-reward candidate there. With the seventh pick in the draft, the Chicago Bulls selected uh, the second Duke player to go in the draft up to that point uh, in Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, What are your thoughts about the Duke center?
1: Uh, I think pretty good overall. You know, can shoot, good passer. Uh, I think he's going to be solid. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, he uh, he definitely looks like he's got a pretty polished post game. Uh, and yeah, as you said, good passer, good instincts. Uh, you know, if he sees a double team, he'll he'll make the quick read right away. Uh, can step out and knock down a jump shot. Really, offensively, has most of what you'd want out of a center. Yeah. Um, he's going to be able to in a switch situation if he gets a small guy on him he's going to be able to beat them on the block if you double he's got the ability to pass it and if you want somebody else to uh run the offense for a play he can spot up and space out most likely in the corners i think at first yeah um but yeah i think uh really really solid offensively um and you know maybe uh I guess DeAndre Ayton for sure is the best offensive center in this draft. Sure. But this guy probably number two behind mm-hmm. him. Uh, but defensively is where I see some of the question marks. I think he could be pretty good as a rim protector and a verticality guy. Okay. So in a traditional pick and roll, you know, where the center kind of drops into the paint, I think he could do that job pretty well. Sure. Uh, but in terms of being able to switch out, if he ever gets in that sort of a situation, might be a struggle for him. Yeah, I agree. And you know the the idea though that uh, at the seventh pick you're getting to the point where you're hoping to find some of these guys that maybe aren't going to be superstars but are going to be solid players. And I think he certainly has the the uh, potential to be that.
1: Right. Yeah. You're you're hoping the overall game is going to you know uh, overlook maybe some of those little weaknesses that we're talking about here. Um, like I said, I, I keep saying it's solid, but uh, that's what I'm seeing. When I'm watching him here. And, of course, he was he was paired up with Marvin, with Bagley. Marvin Bagley. The
0: number two pick by Sacramento. Right.
1: Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think a solid player, good size.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, it's interesting in terms of the Bulls, of course. They, they've had the last number two seventh overall picks. <laughs> they took Lowry Markin in last year, who is a seven-footer that is a really good uh, floor spacer, can shoot the three at a really high clip. Uh, and so offensively, I think their front court is going to be really dynamic and versatile. Yeah. Uh, both of those guys, uh, you know, uh, having both your four and five, being able to shoot the three, uh, having at least one of them be able to post up and both of them, okay, passers as well. Uh, both of them with a little bit of an off the bounce game. I think that's good, uh, bodes well for the Bulls offense, but defense is going to be a big question mark with those two guys. because. Uh, again, I think uh, Wendell Carter's rim protection is good defensively, but uh, you know the the other parts of it. I don't think either of those guys are going to be able to switch. And against some of the best offensive teams in the league, they oftentimes force you to do that, and it's right. going to be a struggle. With the number eight overall pick that the Cavs got from the Brooklyn Nets in the Kyrie Irving trade, uh, the Cavaliers selected Colin Sexton, point guard from Alabama. And uh, first thing first, uh, before we get into what you think of him as a player, uh, do you feel like this is a guy that would potentially convince LeBron James to stay with the Cleveland Cavaliers? No.
1: <laughs> 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 what do you think?
0: I, I agree with that assessment in large part because I think, again, a lot of these rookies, uh, you know, as freshmen, as 19-year-olds, not necessarily going to be able to help right away. And although I see the potential of this guy, sure. I don't necessarily think the the track record of NBA point guards as rookies is not great in terms of them being productive in year one.
1: Right, and LeBron's looking for something right away. You need a a backup for George Hill. And, uh, yeah, I I have no doubt that Sexton's going to be able to develop into a a solid point guard uh, for the Cavs. But in that first year, I'm not sure it's going to be the impact they're
0: looking for. So, you know... If we can just ignore the LeBron sure. question mark about this, then what are what are just your general thoughts about him as a player, and and uh, what do you think his his upside is uh, uh, in the NBA, where the point guard is the the most competitive and talented <laughs> position in the league?
1: It is. Uh, he's he's a very good athlete, and I think there are potentially a lot of upsides. Uh, the thing with me at the point guard spot, you're you're kind of the the quarterback of the offense there. And as you said, this is, like, the most competitive era for point guards. He's not very polished at the position. Like, his, his ball handling at times looks a little out of control, um, you know, especially going to his left. Uh, he he is a good passer, but there, there are just enough things that make me question uh, how soon he's going to make a big impact in the NBA. I think once he shores those things up as a professional, he could do, uh, you know— he could do a solid job out there because of the athleticism because, I mean, that's just, that's something that's hard to teach, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, just it's genetics right there. Um, but I, I don't want to, you know, sell this guy short though. You know, he's one of the top 10 picks. I think it's a good pick for the Cavs. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, the uh, the question mark about, yeah, just his, uh, his general fl- uh, floor game. Uh, you know, he, he does seem to be a score-first mentality, right. which, you know, that's been very successful with a lot of guys you talk about. Uh, you know, or Russell Westbrook, a Kyrie Irving, you know, going back to Gilbert Arenas. You know, there's been a lot of point guards in the league that came in score-first right. and, uh, you know, maybe developed that passing as sure. their career went on. I certainly think that's something that he's going to have to do. Uh, and then, you know, the the ball handling... Uh, and just knowing when to attack, when to, you know, facilitate those sorts of decisions. Right. Uh, But, again, I think those are things you can gain with experience. Sure. And he's got, you know, he's a decent athlete. He seems to have, he's got like about a 6'8 wingspan for a point guard, which is pretty good, despite being only about 6'2 in height. Uh, But, uh, you know... He, to me, seems like a guy that could, uh, you know, in a few years become one of those rare point guards that is a good two-way player, which is right. extremely valuable. Yeah,
1: and that's something I didn't say before. Yeah, on defense, I, I see him being able to, to make an impact there. Uh, and, again, we need that. In a, in a league where there's so many really good point guards out there, you need to be able to slow them down a little bit. So, yeah, as a, a solid two-way point guard, I could see him being that for the Cavs.
0: The the other thing offensively that I that I like in terms of his scoring is the pull up jump shot, especially mm-hmm. from the mid range. Yeah. Uh, other than of course Trey Young, who is clearly the best at this, like his pull up shot as a point guard, pretty solid. Now the extending it out near the three point line, not so much. Right. But he seems pretty confident. It seems like a pretty fluid, um, you know, motion getting mm-hmm. into that pull up uh, in the pick and roll.
1: Yeah, uh, I think again, that's another one of those things that. You can, and and most of these guys do develop once they get to the NBA. They've got shooting coaches there. You know, I, I have no doubt in a few years he'll be able to uh, develop that.
0: So one of the things, you know, good. speaking of going to the Cavaliers, that's interesting. Is he reminds me of LeBron James in this manner. I don't want to suggest he reminds me of him, <laughs> him and, and yeah. as a basketball player in general, but. Sure. Uh, he shoots with his right hand, but often seems like he likes to drive with his left. And that yeah. could be similar to what LeBron is, that he's a little bit ambidextrous as well. Yeah. Um, you know, He's, he's going to have to improve and make it a little bit more consistent that he can go right because it seems like defenses oftentimes play him to go left because he's pretty predictable with that. Uh, yeah. But the ability to finish with both hands is an extremely valuable guy that's hoping to uh, attack the teeth of the defense as a yeah. point guard. We'll see if it's enough to make LeBron stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I do think that, uh, you know, be given the Cavs' uh, you know, situation at point guard, that he will find time, even if LeBron does stay at that backup spot, Yeah, uh, because their only other option is, you know, Jose Calderon. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, even if he struggles, if he's only playing 10 minutes a game, it isn't going to hurt the team that much. Right. Uh, over the long haul, and hopefully over the course of the year he'll get better and better through that experience. Uh, but uh, certainly a guy that, uh, you know, I, I know Cavs fans are, are upset about the Kyrie Irving trade, uh, but this was the the best part of that trade, getting a top-ten pick in a, what seems like a pretty good draft from what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, if this guy turns into a guy that is in the organization for the next decade and is a solid starting point guard, uh, you know... Yeah, that's not Kyrie. Kyrie was better than that, but uh, it, it's something that, uh, you know, for a guy that already won uh, it out, it's a pretty good return. Yeah. With the ninth pick in the NBA draft, the New York Knicks selected Kentucky's Kevin Knox. Now Knox, another one of the youngest guys in this draft, along with Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, pretty raw, but uh, shows potential as a three-point shooter. A guy that at six nine is like a you know a decent athlete as well. What were your thoughts of uh, of the Knicks selection?
1: I I like him. I I like what I I saw with uh, some of the highlights here. You know, um, at that uh, small forward position, you know, he looks like he's pretty athletic. Like you said, pretty raw,
0: can shoot. Um,
1: yeah, I think he's got a good upside. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's another one of these that I I think of as a real. High risk, high reward type player because of how many things he needs to get a lot better at sure. to improve. You know, I I think his ball handling is questionable. Sure. Uh, you know he he's capable of hitting threes and his form looks good, but he only shot thirty four percent from the college three. Uh, so certainly, you know, it's not a guarantee that he's going right. to become a good shooter. Right. Right. Um, although you know, if he becomes the player that a lot the Knicks hope he will, you know, that I think him becoming. You know, a high 30s, 40% three-point shooter would be a part of that. Um, but, you know, the, the idea defensively as well that I'm not sure, you know, he's one of those tweeners that you question, oh, is he quick enough to guard threes and is he big enough and strong enough to guard fours? Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of question marks. There's a question mark about his passing as well and his just general awareness and basketball IQ, yeah. Generally if there's a if there's a prospect with about seven or eight things I'm like, "Oh, he's got a long way to go." <laughs> that that th- throws up a red flag for me. Yeah. But I see it. I see the potential, you know, at that size with the ability to knock down the 3 and the athleticism. Of course, you got to understand uh, that there could be a really good player in there. Oh, for
1: sure. Yeah.
0: Uh but the Knicks, you know, they've got to nail these picks, you know, especially in the event that uh, you know in these next couple of years, they're going to have to convince Kristaps Porzingis that they've got a, a foundation that he can win with, and this pick is going to be a huge part of that. It'll be interesting to see uh, if it works out for him, but it's certainly, uh, certainly a risky pick at that. It is. but uh, get, you know, And getting to this point in the draft, though, most of the picks start to become pretty risky. Good point. <laughs> with the 10th pick in the draft, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers selected Mikael Bridges, uh, the... Uh, Redshirt junior from Villanova, who won two NCAA championships in his three years at Villanova, uh, and uh, you know, at 22 years of age, maybe one of the more NBA-ready players in this draft. Uh, I was really excited for Philadelphia to to take him. I thought he was a really good fit in terms of playing next to Ben Simmons. Just another guy that can you know played or as a role player in college and could just fit in right into the NBA in a similar role, just knocking down threes. He shot 91% from the free-throw line as a sophomore and 85% as a junior, so obviously has some really good touch. Shot 43% from three as a junior and hit over 100 threes for Villanova. Uh, so a guy that you could very easily see becoming a decent three-point shooter right away. Yeah. Uh, and then with a seven two wingspan, seems to be a guy that uh, could be pretty good defensively. Uh, you know, he, he lacks kind of the bulk and the strength maybe to be, you know, a lockdown defender. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Sixers already have some of those guys uh, in the fold. So I thought he was going to be a perfect fit. But then the Sixers ended up trading him, uh, who, again, they drafted him 10th overall. They traded him to the Phoenix Suns for the 16th pick of the same of this same draft and a guy named Zaire Smith, who uh, is uh, a six four and a half kind of shooting guard can defend one two maybe threes as well with his wingspan he's got about a six ten wingspan uh, elite athlete better athlete than Bridges yeah uh, but then uh, you know the shot certainly a lot more of a question mark. Uh, and Smith also several years younger, a lot more raw, a lot more to develop than probably Bridges. Uh, but then of course, Philly trading back from 10 to 16 gets some additional compensation. They got an unprotected 2021 draft pick that Phoenix owned, uh, that, uh, was originally Miami's pick. Uh, so, you know, that's potential further ammunition down the road that Philadelphia could use in, in future trades. Uh, talk about, you know, trying to trade for Kawhi Leonard or something of that nature, but uh, what are your thoughts in general about uh, that sort of swap and, uh, you know, moving down from 10 to 16 and and getting an additional first-round pick just on the surface seems like a pretty good deal. I think think it does. Uh, Getting that extra pick,
1: I mean, as we've seen with the process, you know, it's largely worked out for him. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, I, I... I get the trade. There there are some things I do like about, you know, uh Bridges' game here. Uh like his athleticism, there's this one dunk that he has on like three people that's just like insane. Mm-hmm. Uh and his shot, even though it is kinda, you know, unorthodox, it's a little bit to the left of his head. Uh, but it is it's fast, it's smooth. I like it, even when he's pulling up, it, it's a smooth enough shot that like you were saying, as a role player I think he could fit in. At different places. Right. So, um, yeah, not quite as uh, athletic as Smith. We'll see how he develops, you know, over there. But, yeah, I, I like what I what I see with him.
0: Well, the, you know, the interesting thing to me, and I agree just in terms of the moving six picks back, especially from 10, you know, if it's moving from picks one to seven, you know, then it's like, oh, you know, you better get multiple first round picks or something like that. But uh, from, moving from 10 to 16, which, again, at the 10th spot uh, you know, you're not necessarily guaranteed a great player, uh, generally in most drafts. Yeah. Uh, so from going to 10 to 16th, getting a future first, that makes a lot of sense. The the question, though, and again, you know, I think people overreact to just in terms of the mere assets each team acquired. But a lot of this trade will just come down to is Zaire Smith near Mikel Bridges in terms of a prospect. Right. If Zaire Smith ends up being better than Bridges, then it's a <laughs> it's a total win right for philadelphia but if mikhail bridges ends up being the vastly superior player you know you got to start to question philadelphia especially a team that already has won 50 games is already right. on the you know you mentioned the process but the process has already gotten to a certain right. point where they're a winning basketball team and bridges seem to me like a guy that could help them right now and right. into the future and is less of a question mark
1: yeah at a certain point you're you know the process is building for the future once you already have that foundation set, you should be like, "Okay, now it's time to start winning now, mm-hmm. you know before that window closes, and you have to restart the process again
0: right so uh
1: yeah, I get what you're saying well and
0: and I also think in terms of uh when you're drafting i think if if the cupboard is pretty bare in terms of your roster, you should always draft for upside. you should think, okay." Regardless of fit, even if we took a center in last year's draft, if we think a center is far and away the best prospect and the guy that has the best chance of being a star player, you take him, regardless of fit. But at a certain point, I think you've got to, you know, not completely get rid of the idea of trying to find potential and and focus on upside, but fit has to become more of a focal point once you've already drafted those stars like Philly has with Ben Simmons and Embiid. Right. you got to, at some point, start to say, okay, what are the guys that we think are going to play the best with the guys that we already have on our roster? Yeah. And and that's the thing that scares me from a Philly perspective is that Bridges seemed perfect. And, uh, you know, this Smith has some question marks that, and, you know, maybe he never will develop that shot. And if he can't shoot, you question the fit with a Ben Simmons. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you need some shooters around Ben Simmons, for sure. And
0: Embiid, too, because, you know, Embiid is capable of stepping out, but he's not a great three-point shooter, but he also likes to post up. And if teams double, you need that spacing around him. And if you already have Ben Simmons on the floor, uh, you know, as soon as you put three below-average shooters (laughs) on the court, your spacing is suboptimal, to say the least. Yeah. So with the uh, 11th pick of the draft, the Los Angeles Clippers uh selected Shy Gilgis Alexander, point guard out of Kentucky. And uh he's a guy that uh, has uh pretty good size for a point guard at six six with about a six eleven wingspan. Uh s- you know similar uh measurements to like a Sean Livingston or as we mentioned, a Michael Jordan. <laughs> although right. nowhere near the, the player. Right. Um, right. But uh this guy seems to be, you know, a decent athlete. He seems to have um, some decent passing ability, some decent standstill shooting, uh, and, uh, you know, can finish effectively as well. Uh, but uh, what what did you think about uh, this prospect uh, for the Clippers?
1: Yeah, uh, like you were saying with the finishing, he's got some interesting uh, floaters and, you know, this little scoop shot that he likes to do from on the left side of the floor with his right hand that he seems to be pretty effective with. Uh, but, you know, just finishing with contact seems to be a weakness for him um and you know at 6-6 six, six, if you're a point guard one of the things i feel like you should be able to do is attack the rim and you know i don't know punish the smaller guys on you and if you can't do that it's it's going to make it a little more questionable
0: <laughs> right and so. that's where not only the lack of elite athleticism pl- but also the lack of strength right probably that's what hurts him to. yes um but uh you know the the other interesting thing is you know you talk uh, we talked about Colin Sexton for the Cavs and how he had what seemed like a pretty natural pull up shot. This guy seemed like it was you know you know uh, not very natural. It wasn't smooth yeah. as, as we're watching right there. Uh, what are your thoughts on that part of his game? And yeah. of course in the NBA teams might go under that pick and roll. You got to be able to as a point guard knock down that pull up mid range shot.
1: You do uh, his. His mechanics look pretty off, like there's uh, it's not very smooth. He almost looks flat footed when he's he's pulling up. And uh, yeah, in, in today's NBA, if you're if you can't make the defenses pay with the three point shot, it's like, Well, what are you even doing out there? We've got so many other point guards in, in modern NBA who can do that. Um, yeah, that's it's that's a big glaring weakness there though.
0: One, well, you know, Mike Schmidt, uh, the the guy for uh, Draft Express, which is where we're getting all these videos. If any of you're interested in watching them, he does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, he talked about that. It it seems as if his upper and lower body, there's a disconnect there <laughs> on those pull-up shots. Yeah. Uh, but as a standstill shooter, right. uh, he looks pretty good. Um, yeah. And and that's where it's also interesting at this stage of the draft, at the you know the 11th pick. Um, you're probably not hoping that he is the number one option. But as a number two option, I kind of like what he offers. Sure. Um, because again, that pull-up game seems to be more against a set defense. That's the number one go-to play in the offense. But if he can catch it and either catch and shoot or then attack a closing defender, which uh, he I, can do, I, I yeah. think he's uh, he's got a good potential to be a, a decent second creator.
1: Yeah, I, I I think you're right. As the second option, I, I
0: see that. Well, and at that size, I think he'll have some decent versatility. Uh, mm-hmm. defensively to guard multiple positions so i think he could fit next to a lot of guys but sure. certainly i think the biggest requirement for a backcourt mate or a or a wing mate would be a number one option star player yeah. um to be the main creator but he definitely has uh you know i think he can become a good uh a good role player uh but the biggest question mark uh you know that i have to ask you on this is as we're gonna we're gonna skip a couple of picks um but the, uh, the 14th selection in this draft was uh, Michael Porter Jr., uh, forward out of Missouri who, of course, has some injury issues, broke his back, uh, lost a lot of what appeared to be uh, the athleticism he had. But he was going to be the number one pick if he came out of the draft last year. But, of course, there was the one-and-done rule that forced him to go to college. Mm-hmm. And then he hurt his back. Uh, but a guy with that kind of talent, he went 14 to Denver, uh, is is this guy that the Clippers selected, and even some of the other guys that we've talked about previously, are those guys good enough to pass up on a potential stud in Michael Porter Jr.?
1: I don't think so, and and that's sometimes hard to say because we've seen a lot of busts happen with with people who have had big injuries, you know, and it and it's terrible whenever that happens. But uh, I think, man. The, the upsides with Porter when he was healthy, um, I mean, yeah, definitely first first pick. Um, I think even now I would have taken him higher than, what did you say, 14th? Yes. Yeah,
0: um, you know, I, I definitely would have uh, picked him higher. Yeah, and not. for Denver it's interesting because they've got a nice young core in Nikola Jokic and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray that uh, are all... Uh, really good young players, and but they kind of felt like a team that, you know, despite the fact that all of them are about 23 and under, they've got a bright future as a franchise, they felt like there was a ceiling to it in terms of they were probably a, yeah. a second-round playoff team sort of team for the, the foreseeable future. But getting a guy like Porter a potential number-one pick talent yeah. at 14 to add to that core could put them in a different trajectory and give them a chance if if he gets healthy and if he gets back to the level of athlete he was in high school yeah uh, that uh, could change their franchise forever yeah i
1: i would have taken a chance on on him to be honest if if i had control there on who to because i mean there's just there's so many upsides in this in his game as a scorer i mean um I forget what it was they were looking at his scoring average for some of these camps, and you know, uh,
0: thirty-five points a game, thirty-five points per
1: game, uh, really good range. Uh, you know, attack in the basket, passing. I mean, you know, I, I definitely think he's worth the pick. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, there was a really interesting uh, on cleaning the glass. Ben Falk wrote an article about uh, players being red flagged. And that was one of the terms that he uh, he learned about when he became an assistant general manager, uh, where teams will look at a player and see that there's a risk with injury, and they will essentially eliminate them from their draft board completely. Wow. So they will not draft them under any circumstances. And he viewed that as just a flaw in in drafting because, you know, as we were mentioning, with like even the 10th pick, uh, and mm-hmm. he mentioned in the article, the 10th through 12th picks historically have about a 10% chance of becoming like a starting caliber player. You're just as easily to find a guy that'll be out of the league in three or four years. Right. Um, so at some point, uh, even if you've got a huge question mark and you think this guy's a huge risk for injury. At some point, that you know the the potential of his ability, if he is healthy, has got to outweigh the risk. Yeah, I
1: would uh, I would agree. That's an interesting choice, almost like league wide, there mm-hmm. to red flag a, a player. Uh, this is a sport; people do get injured. You know, right? Um, I understand that their busts do happen, but like when we look at like a Greg Oden, who was what the number one pick, or he was in the top
0: three Uh, yeah he was number one in front of kevin durant in in front of kevin durant
1: i mean those are the busts that we're talking about where like people spend their top pick on that Mm -hmm. where when we're falling down to around the 10th pick and you get like well it's it's worth the risk because what you're probably going to get with another player as you already said um is you know maybe a good role player if that right
0: Well, and yeah, that that whole, like, yeah, you mentioning the Greg Oden, Kevin Durant example is, you know, you're taking a risk on a guy with potential injury issues uh, at one when there's another superstar potential guy there at, with Durant. Right. Whereas at 14 or even anywhere after probably Mo Bamba at six, yeah. he was probably the last really high ceiling guy prior to Porter being taken. Right. So you've got picks seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and 13. Yeah. Uh that's a lot of picks for guys that, you know, are probably solid starters at best. Sure. And, um, you know, whereas Porter, again, has that superstar uh, yeah. potential.
1: And to win a championship, you, I mean, historically, go down the list, all of these teams have had superstars. So at some point, you're going to have to pick them up, and they're really rare. So when you've got a chance to get one, I think you got to make that choice and,
0: and pick them. And, you know, the other interesting thing about the Denver situation, given they're already a pretty good team, they can be patient with Porter, yeah. like the Sixers were with Joel Embiid, different circumstances. The Sixers just wanted to be bad, so they mm-hmm. were able to be patient with right. Embiid, uh, and gave Embiid two years to rest and, and get healthy. And that has obviously worked out great for them uh and Denver given that they're you know they were one game away from making the playoffs last year they may be a playoff team for the next couple of years even if Porter doesn't contribute for them so they're in a perfect scenario where we can be good and let this guy maybe take as much time and give ourselves as much of a chance to get what we can out of this youngster well that's uh that's basically all we have for uh for this draft but uh, when you when you look at uh, some of these some of these teams Anthony is there any particular team or player that you're you're really happy about in terms of the value that that team got um I'm
1: looking at uh I'm interested to see how uh Bamba turns out just with that athleticism and everything to see if if he could be another Rudy Gobert, that would be Awesome to watch because I love defense with centers. Uh, Doncic uh, with Dallas yeah. with Dallas I think is going to be really exciting. Um, what about you? What do you think?
0: Yeah, uh, despite the fact that Dallas gave up, you know, essentially used two first round picks on Doncic, I love the value for them. Uh, given that they started the draft at the number five spot to get who I thought was the best player in the draft is you know is a win for them. And you know they're a team that I think. Uh, You know they protected that that future draft pick that they traded to Atlanta one through five for the next couple of years. So they're hoping it just they they surrender maybe a a pick between six and fifteen next year, which would hurt some. But you know you you're again not likely to get a superstar out of that sort of a pick, right? Um. So you know Dallas, uh, I I think Dallas definitely a winner. Um. I uh, I also. You know, despite Phoenix giving up an extra first-round pick to move up and get that Mikhail Bridges at 10, I like the Aiton-Bridges combo that they pulled off in this draft. Um, I I think uh, Bridges is a guy that, for a losing team, is going to be able to come in off of the winning culture of winning in Villanova, Mm -hmm. a guy that can help, I think, right away. Uh, Plus, I think Aiton is going to be pretty good right away. Uh, I think those two guys injecting that into the youth that the Suns have with a Devin Booker who's right. a rising star, especially offensively. Yeah, uh, you know you gotta like the kind of uh, you know the things they got going, and really they they have one major hole still at point guard. Right. But uh, at least now you can say you know that's our next mission. Maybe next draft we get our point guard, or in free agency we get our point guard. Exactly. But yeah. to fill potentially your center and small forward position. For the next decade, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> I would say so too. Yeah. Um, now, how about uh, in terms of what do you think in terms of teams that maybe didn't do so well mm-hmm. uh, and maybe you know hurt themselves for the future with this draft? I've got one in mind. Right sure, away. go for it. Uh, the Kings with uh, Marvin Bagley. I think yeah. uh, you know passing on Doncic, and I even think guys like uh, Jaron Jackson. And Mo Bamba have very much the potential to become better, at least in terms of winning and bringing Bagley. you know than Bagley. I think Bagley might be just a real good stats, not really that much of a contributor to wins, uh, sort yeah. of player. Um, so I think they're definitely a loser in this draft. Uh, and I think the Clippers, you know, they had two picks in the lottery at twelve and thirteen. They get the Shea Gilgis Alexander. They also take a shooting guard that. I don't think had much upside. Twice passing on Michael Porter Jr. when they're a team that needs a superstar, I think was also a, a pretty big mistake as well. I'd agree with that. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Garrett Bougay here with you, and uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on uh, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, wherever you get your uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bougay. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on?
1: Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA.
0: Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also
1: find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle, on once you click on my Twitter handle. Uh, definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops, just like my friend Gary does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work.
0: Yeah, can't recommend round ball ramble enough. Corbin does, does, does great stuff there and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar.